Well, brothers and sisters, Genesis 46 is a somewhat long chapter. I never uh, expect to receive applause, but when I go through all those words, I think, does anybody appreciate uh, what I do? <laughs> so, a long chapter of God's Word, no, uh, no, uh, no doubt. And even as we take it as a whole for our, our sermon text this morning, I would suggest that it really... Uh, deserves to be uh, a whole for the purpose of our learning and understanding. Uh, Thus, the overall lesson of Genesis 46 is this. uh, Wherever you go in the world, there God will find you. And the point is not that God has to look you up or uh, track you down using Google Maps. Uh, Maybe the better way to put it is to say, wherever you go, there God is is. Wherever you go, God always gets there ahead of you. Uh, in the past, uh, I've enjoyed the, the modern-day proverb that says, wherever you go, there you are. Have you ever heard that one? Uh, wherever you go, there you are. And I think the idea of this statement is, uh, is first of all, the, the secular idea that, uh, that the person is sovereign, Uh, The idea is that you are the center of your own being so that it doesn't matter where you are, but only that you are and that wherever you are, uh, there you are. And there is the center of your self-contained universe. But the corollary idea uh, on a pessimistic side of things uh, is that you can't run from yourself. Uh, Wherever you go, There you are. You can't run from your problems because the root of your problems is you. But brothers and sisters, here is the good news of Jesus Christ. Here is the the comfort of living in covenant relationship with God, your creator, that God exists outside of ourselves and our own imaginations, and that no matter where you go, there you are, and there He is with you. No matter where you go, you are in the presence of your God. And notice that I said your God, not just God, but your God. That's the, that's the message of the gospel. That's our comfort, that God is our God. We are reconciled to him. We are adopted as his own children. He is our God. And we remain in his presence wherever we go. We remain under his care as our heavenly father wherever we go. God's word even says this outright, as we heard in Psalm 139, where the where the psalmist writes, and, and as he writes, he gives the same words to us to say and, and to pray. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot, I cannot attain it. Wherever I go, no matter where I go, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Psalm 139 is a a psalm of David, which means that Jacob didn't have it in his Bible. Uh, But the truth expressed in Psalm 139 was God's truth to Jacob. Uh, 
as we continue in the story of Joseph and as, as Jacob becomes a, a figure again in the story, we, we can see that, that Jacob needed this reassurance from God. And if Jacob, then we too need this reassurance from God. We need the reassurance that we have a covenant relationship with God. In other words, we live each and every day in a relationship to God that is not based upon our decision to believe, certainly not upon our imagination of who God is, but upon His eternal decision to make us to be believers in Him and to live according to His promises we need god's promises we need to hear and to and to be assured each week of god's gospel promises he has promises to be he has promised to be our god but can we hear the promises will we receive the comfort of the promise such such as the blessing if god will grant it to us of considering this small portion of God's holy word. So let's begin. The first point this morning is reassurance from God. By now we, we, know, the, we know the story, right? Joseph was alive. We knew it, but now his brothers knew it, and Jacob, his father, was told it. Uh, he could hardly believe it, which is, uh, which is the case whenever God does a great thing. Uh, on one hand, uh, people say, you know, if God exists, then why doesn't he do something? But then God does do something beyond what he has already done in creating the entire world. And then people just can't believe it. Well, that's on them. Just make sure it's not on you. But while Jacob struggled to believe, while his heart became numb, as we are told, yet he believed. And he did so, he believed, when he saw the evidence, the wagons that Joseph had sent for him. And so his spirit revived, we're told, and, and he believed. Here is a starting point for the events of uh, chapter 46. Here we see that, that God is too good to be believed, almost. You, you may be looking for... God's answer to all kinds of good questions that you have. But while he remains silent or, or calls you to wait on his answers uh, to such, let's call them immediate questions, yet he has already answered your greater questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? All of us have questions that we, we, we maybe don't even know we have. We ask them every day, only we, we don't know that we are even asking them. And in the same way Jacob had, had given up on asking questions about his son Joseph, he had written Joseph off. Remember the story. His sons had, had taken Joseph's famous coat of many colors and they had smeared it with blood. If Jacob had... Uh, had DNA testing, he could have figured out that it was animal blood and, and not his son's blood on the coat of many colors. But otherwise, what was he left to think? But that his son was dead. How many years passed? I think we could probably figure it out if we 
but I didn't do that in my sermon preparation. We could figure it out how many years passed. But we can, we, we can surely understand that, that when he was told Joseph is still alive and he is a mighty ruler in Egypt, he had a bit of trouble believing it. His heart became numb. And even when he did believe, God still knew the weakness of the faith of his servant, Jacob. And so, God gave him reassurance. Genesis 46 records, and God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God. The God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. There are several reasons why we we can't just skip by these, these several verses. First, because as we've already pointed out, Jacob had already believed. He had said, recorded in the last chapter, verse 28, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. That's faith. And yet he was an old man. And he had a long journey ahead of him. Even more, the start of the journey was surely a a great challenge for, for Jacob. We can... We can understand this, I'm sure. We, we decide to do something, and then we reverse course. So we, we make up our minds, and then we unmake our minds. Well, how much more for Jacob, who was now being told to pack up and move everything, literally everything, to Egypt? God knew. God knew that he needed help to believe and to keep believing. Sound familiar? God knows how much we need the same help. If I ask any one of you, is Jesus your Savior? You would answer yes. If I ask you, uh, do you believe the promises of the gospel? You would know that the answer should be yes. I believe the promises of the gospel. And yet, you still struggle to submit to your husband. Uh, You still... Uh, look at worthless things on the internet. You, you, you still are not giving God the tithe. We say we believe, but belief still abounds. Unbelief still abounds within us. The allure of the, of the easy way through life. Jacob had at least started out on the hard way, but he, no different from us, he needed reassurance from God. On one hand, it's, it's worth considering our brothers and sisters in, in other parts of the world, uh, those who go to church each Lord's Day wondering if doing so will be the last act of their devotion to Christ. On the other hand, all we have to do is, is look at Jacob. Joseph is alive, he was told. And though he struggled to believe, yet he did believe, and yet again God knew that he needed help, not not only to believe in the first place, but to keep believing. That's a theme here. How How do we keep believing? 
how do we believe throughout the process of basically packing everything up and moving to Egypt? If God told you today to, to move to Egypt, would you do it? For us, it, it might be like, move to Mexico. That's what God told Jacob, and he did it. At least he began to do it. <laughs> and, and to help him along the way, God spoke to him in visions. I, th- I think it's important to see that it says visions, plural, and not just a vision, singular. And it fits with what we need. We don't, we don't get visions, but we have something even better. We have the Word of God. Uh, but we get visions as well. We, we get not just one, but we get visions as well. Each week we come uh, here to church to hear God's Word preached, to hear the promises of the gospel repeated. We, we get to be reassured, not unlike Jacob was to be assured that Joseph is alive and that we are doing the right thing. We are heading in the right direction. We are living in response rightly to the gospel. Of course, for us, it's the message that Jesus is alive. That even though he suffered and died on the cross, yet he is alive even more, he is ruling, and, and, and he has the supplies that we need, not just to survive a famine, but to survive Judgment Day. Are you planning to survive Judgment Day without being cast into hell while the angels rejoice over your demise? Well, if so, you need to be looking to Christ. He was dead and now he is alive. And if you've, uh, if you've been sure of that in the past, then be reassured again today. On this day, Lord's Day, September 4, 2022. These are the words of God to Jacob, and, and we can hear them as God's reassurance to us. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation for us and for us and by the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ the words of God are these do not be afraid to live the christian life do not be afraid to live your life for Christ fully do not be afraid to be a sojourner a, a foreigner one who is only passing through a foreign land that's what this world is for christians This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And God says, don't be afraid because you have my promises and my word is good. My promises are true. And I am true to my promises. And so let my promises be your hope and be your courage despite the suffering and the opposition that you face. And our courage is the same as as that given by God to Jacob. I myself will go with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. The resurrection. These words should sound familiar. Though you die, yet shall you live. And I will be with you wherever you go.
And so Jacob set out. Again, he had already believed, he had already set out, but the testimony of God's word makes it clear the importance of the assurances of God's word. Verse 5 says, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. Maybe he was vacillating. Uh, maybe he was uh, delaying the order as, as the head of the family to, to set out and to keep going. Everything was packed. Everything was ready. But was this really what he was supposed to be doing? But God gave him the reassurance of his promise to him. And what follows then is a, is a numbering of Israel. And here is a, a point to stop and recalculate. It, it started with Abraham, one man. From him it increased to two by the birth of his son Isaac, although once Isaac was born and, and Abraham died, it went back to one. Then from Isaac, it became two sons, Esau and Jacob. Then finally, some progress. Jacob had two wives, actually he had four, in order to give him 12 sons, one of whom was no more, or so they thought. But he was replaced by Benjamin. Now, now they were up to 70. There is, uh, there is quite uh, the detail here in the listing of the family members of Jacob in verses 8 through 27, uh, we read it uh, all in our, uh, we read it all in our scripture reading because it, it really is important, as hard as it is to pronounce all the names, it's, it's important, but, but mercifully, the, the point of it all, once you get through all the names, is summarized for us in verse 27, when it says, all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt we're 70. What should we make of the number 70? Is it just a random number? Uh, should we hear it as uh, it just so happened that the number of Abraham's descendants had reached 70 when Israel went down into Egypt? No. The number 7, or in this case 70, is, is never a random number in God's Word. The point is, is to say something that... That, that though the number may seem meager by the, by the standards of this world, yet it was perfect. We need to remember uh, something we heard earlier in the Genesis story. We need to go back to Genesis 15, and, and there um, might be something painful, having to go back to Genesis uh, 15 uh, might feel like shoots and ladders where you land on the spot where you have to go almost all the way back to the beginning. But, but remember what we heard in Genesis 15 as, as God was giving Abraham that, that elaborate ceremony with the, the severed animals and the, and the bloody path to walk. Do you remember that far back? Remember that God had walked that bloody path while Abraham slept. And God had made this declaration, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. It was pointed out earlier that Jacob uh, didn't have Psalm 139 in his Bible, but here we can point out that he did have 
this testimony in his knowledge. And it gives us to wonder whether Jacob was ever was able to make the connection. He he might have said, uh, ah, here now is the beginning of what God told my grandfather Abraham. But it's the same thing that is being told us with the number 70. All things were as they should be. Three generations later, after the promises of God and the offspring of Abraham reaching 70, this is exactly where it should be by the promise of God and by the work of God to fulfill his covenant promises in his own timing. It wouldn't be until later when Israel was oppressed in the land of Egypt that things would take off, when, when the number of Israel would expand greatly. And God would do it this way for the same reason he whittled down Gideon's army to 300 men. Numbers are important to God. And he delights in small numbers when it will display his glory. And he delights in big numbers when it will display his glory. And so Israel went into Egypt with a mere 70 members. And there in Egypt, the number increased and even exploded. And, in, and it happened even under the oppression that they would experience. Do you remember the, the battle that Elijah fought with the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Because it's the same thing. Another demonstration of God's work and his glory. Remember how Elijah built the altar, placed the sacrifice on the altar, and then he called for it all to be drenched with water. You ever started, tried to start a, a, a campfire with wet wood? So he called for it to be drenched with water three times. He called for water to be poured upon the entire thing. And then he prayed a simple prayer. And fire came down, and it consumed the offering even more. It consumed the entire altar. Well, here's the same thing. God was sending his people, merely 70 in number, into Egypt, and there in Egypt, under the oppression of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, God would send his fire. He would further fulfill his promise to Abraham. Last then, saved but despised. It can't be missed that when Israel went into Egypt, two things happened. First, they were saved. Remember how Jacob had sent his sons down to Egypt because they had heard there was food there. And remember how reluctant Jacob was to send them back a second time uh, because if they were to return, they would have to bring Benjamin with them. But hunger does amazing things to make a person willing to take risks. And so Jacob had sent his sons back to Egypt with his precious Benjamin to obtain more food lest they die. Now, however, they were moving to Egypt. Now they had a family member in the rank and file of the rulership of Egypt, Joseph, who was not only alive, but was ruling as vice regent of the land of food. Well, it's, it's a picture of salvation. 
Jacob and his family went from bare existence to grand hope, all by the revelation that Joseph was alive and even ruling in Egypt. It's an early example of the modern adage, it's who you know. When there is food in Egypt and you have a son who is the one dispensing the food in Egypt, then you're golden, as we say. But here's the rest of it, that that even as Israel came down to Egypt, they were despised and they were set apart. And think about it. Jacob, if he had had any pride left, he, he might have said, this is unacceptable. Either receive us without reservation into the community of Egypt or we won't come. Of course, he didn't say this because he wanted to stay alive along with his his children and grandchildren. But but as Israel came down to Egypt, they they were despised. They were set apart by some weird pagan idea. They were put into the category of those who kept sheep and cattle. They were they were despised as farmers, people with manure on their boots. And so for the sake of Joseph, Israel was received into Egypt, but they were set apart. The term in our day is segregated, equal but separate. We'll give you food and, and even food in abundance, but stay away from us because we're too holy for you. That's really what the world says to us in our own day. And so think of it, a a pagan king called Pharaoh allows a people to come into his land, but tells them that they have to stay separate from him and from his people. And and God says, fine, I, I, I want my people to stay separate from you. So even more, God himself was was orchestrating this. The arrogance of Pharaoh was, was orchestrated by God to bring his people into Egypt and yet to keep them separate. And it fits so well with where we are in the world. If we ever feel the world rejecting us, then we can know that God would have the world reject us in order that we might know and remember who we are. We are Christians. We are those whom God himself has set apart, set apart for himself. Here's a point where we can see that the world's rejection of us is not a hindrance to God and his purpose. As the world rejects us, as believers in Christ, so it serves to remind us that we have been set apart from the world by God. In other words, the world's separation and God's separation of his people are not two entirely different things. In fact, they are one and the same. The world opposes us because God would have the world oppose us. The world opposes us because God has separated us by his grace and his mercy in Christ. Can we look at our lives in this way? It is a challenge. It it, it requires that we constantly return to the worldview, the, the understanding of reality itself that God gives us in his word. If we decide to be a Christian, and then vacillate when opposition comes, it's, it's not surprising that we 
should misunderstand uh, what is happening, but we should know better. And we will know better if we're paying attention to God's word. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here is what he meant, revealed already in in Genesis 46. We, We are substandard in the eyes of the world. So be it. The world will despise us. So be it. The world's spite is the very evidence of God's justification of us in Christ. We are different. We have been set apart to be different. Set apart by God in Christ. And as we are despised by the world, so we are confirmed in our faith. Let me say that again. As we are despised by the world, so we are confirmed in our faith. It's what, it's what we should expect. And we need only to remember Gideon's army. We need only to remember that, that through death, even by crucifixion, Jesus became the Savior of his people. We need only to remember that Israel went down to Egypt by the, by the plan of God announced already to Abraham. Israel went down to Egypt for what reason? To receive the blessings of God through his suffering servant, Joseph. Israel went down to Egypt to be blessed by their God and despised by their enemies. And as a result, the glory of God is revealed. A picture is painted of a God who is fully sovereign to reveal his faithfulness and his glory even as he amazes his people by his blessing. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, grant that we would indeed take from your world, from your word, a worldview, an understanding of reality itself, and certainly an understanding of our, of our lives, the Christian life in this world. And grant that we would trust you and thank you for giving us reassurance each Lord's Day. And in fact, every time we open our word, our Bibles, your word, thank you for ministering unto our weakness. And we do pray that you would give us the strength we need, the reminder of your reality each and every day. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.